0: Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We'll allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star and zero on your touchstone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would now like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop. Dr. Carolyn Mesner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead.
1: Oh, Thank you so much, Michelle. And I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's program. And today's program is a collaborative effort between the Longevity Foundation and Cancer Care. And um, today's program is titled Update on Small Cell Lung Cancer Treatments. And uh, We have a lot of speakers today, and there's lots that you're going to learn on today's program. And you will be hearing much more about the Longevity Foundation as the program um, uh, goes forward, but it's a wonderful resource for all of you as well. Today's program is supported by G1 Therapeutics, Inc. We want to thank them for their support of the program. Um, and I wanted to say that we have lots of people on the call today. We have over 221 participants on the call today who come from all over the United States, um, from both urban, rural, and suburban areas. And we also have international participants from Canada, Germany, India the Netherlands Oman Pakistan, Saudi Arabia Taiwan and the United Kingdom so it's a bit of a global call as well and we're delighted to have so many of you on the call today now before I introduce our first speaker we're going to just ask you just a few questions um, to start um, and we, we ask you to participate um, in Respond to these questions because it helps us to understand what you know coming into the program. and it will help us to plan better programs for you going forward. So um, I'm going to start with the first question. Um, on a scale of one to five, with one the highest rating and five the lowest rating, please select your rating. I understand new treatment options for recurrent small cell lung cancer. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, I understand emerging treatment options for small cell lung cancer. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, I know the importance of clinical trials for small cell lung cancer. Again, one is the highest rating, and five the lowest rating. Just two more questions left. The next question is. I know how to manage treatment side effects, symptoms, and pain for small cell lung cancer in the context of COVID-19. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And then this is the last question. I know the role of the standard of care for small cell lung cancer. Again, one is the highest rating, and five the lowest rating. So I want to thank you all for your participation in these questions. It helps us, again, in planning future programs. And now it's my pleasure to introduce our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Bob Lee, and Dr. Lee is medical oncologist, thoracic oncology and early drug development service, physician ambassador to China and Asia Pacific, Bobst International Center, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. And Dr. Lee will be addressing overview of small cell lung cancer in the context of COVID-19, standard of care, treatment options for recurrent small cell lung cancer, emerging treatment approaches tips to cope with treatment side effects, symptoms, discomfort, and pain, and the role of telehealth telemedicine appointments in reducing your exposure to COVID-19. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Lee.
2: Thank you, Dr. Mesner, and I'd like to thank Cancer Care for organizing uh, uh, this workshop uh, in, uh, to help uh, patients and the carers uh, to provide information and offer a platform uh, 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 of hope. Now I wanted to talk about the overview of this, uh, this small cell lung cancer topic. This is a disease that comprises of about 10 to 15% of all lung cancer. So it's a, it is a, a quite a prevalent uh, uh, illness. And it is largely driven by smoking, with about 98% of patients uh, uh, having previously uh, uh, smoked. So it's heavily linked, uh, based on all the data, to smoking. Now, I'm a thoracic oncologist, and uh, most of my patients uh, actually smoked in the past. And there's unfortunately, the society has attached a lot of stigma to uh, to smoking which I personally find it very unfair because a lot of my patients grew up when when smoking was the norm uh, and was a cool thing to do uh, per societal standards back in those days. So if if uh, if yourself or, uh, or if you're a family member who have uh, small cell lung cancer and it's driven by smoking, uh, please try to take away that stigma from the patient. I think it's terribly unfair. Uh, and the other thing is... Um, uh, that there's still something you can do actively by quitting smoking. By quitting smoking, you actually can restore your lung function as well as your cardiovascular function, and that gives you a really a, a optimal fighting chance uh, against this disease because there is hope and there, is, uh, 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 there are options. Uh, against this disease, and there, there's certainly hope of extended survival and improved quality of life. So I want that message to be loud and clear, even if you, you've smoked all your life and you've got small cell lung cancer, it's not the end of the world, you can first do the first step by stopping smoking. It's not easy, but there's help on board, and and, and people can achieve the smoke uh, full smoking cessation, make a difference to their lives. It's doubly difficult these days with COVID-19 pandemic uh, uh, going uh, around the world, Uh, and certainly we are relying on technology to help us overcome this terrible, uh, terrible uh, public health uh, disaster. And um, the use of uh, telemedicine has definitely helped uh, reduce the um, impact of COVID-19 transmission, the transmission rates, as well as the... uh, uh, the risk to the patient. Patients with small cell lung cancers are at increased risk of catching COVID-19. They are also at increased risk of having complications from COVID-19. Uh, and the mortality rate is also several fold higher than the, um, uh, uh, the, uh, the average patient. So I, I think this is certainly a significant risk uh, to patients and it's something that we need to take seriously. Uh, and uh, telemedicine uh, by... Um, reducing uh, social uh, contact and, and, and allowing social distance uh, away from a very crowded room full of uh, doctors and nurses and other healthcare staff and other patients, you know, to to separate from from that uh, environment uh, would reduce transmission rates and, and keep the patients safe. Uh, of course, uh, COVID-19 vaccine is now available. Uh, at at various, through various channels and that is uh, uh, thanks to technology we have been able to develop this in unprecedented speed uh, and uh, and actively uh, uh, rolling out uh, to the uh, uh, populations uh, in the United States and and in all the other uh, countries and jurisdictions. Uh, in my personal experience, uh, my patients are all getting COVID-19 vaccine, um, and, uh, and it's safe and effective. We have, um, I've got uh, uh, patients who are on chemotherapy, on immunotherapy, uh, who are old, who are frail, and they are getting COVID-19 vaccine, um, and, uh, and that would radically uh, put, change their risk of catching or dying from COVID-19 Uh, which is a terrible illness. Uh, So that protects uh, patients. Uh, Now, moving on to uh, treatment options, as I mentioned earlier, uh, yes, small cell lung cancer is traditionally uh, a bad illness. It has really bad connotations of poor survival. However, this is changing. This is rapidly changing, uh, and thanks to uh, the scientific developments in this space, we now have uh, a lot more treatment options with, with quite a few uh, just being approved by the U.S. FDA over the last uh, couple of years. And, and it's rolling out to other countries around the world as well. So uh, traditionally for recurrent small cell lung cancer, that is small cell uh, lung cancer that traditionally responds to chemotherapy uh, and radiotherapy, but they come back. So that is the, the difficulty with small cell. Uh, uh, even though it's uh, compared to non-small cell, it is chemosensitive, so they actually respond very well to platinum-based chemotherapy, but they come back. And when that happens, traditionally, we really have very few options. If the patient has recurrence uh, uh, more than uh, six months, uh, strictly the textbook is more than three months uh, being platinum-sensitive, but in my experience, if if they relapse more than six months, their uh, platinum sensitivity is still there, and uh, uh, and you can rechallenge with the same platinum agent uh, and there's still a chance uh, that the tumor will shrink and respond well now in uh, with the clinical trial uh, positive clinical trial results. Uh, of chemoimmunotherapy, this has now become a new standard of care for metastatic small cell lung cancer, and whether it's extensive stage or uh, even in the uh, m- uh, recurrent metastatic disease setting. If they're platinum sensitive, we would add a immunotherapy such as a, a, a two, uh, there's there's the um, the Valumab as well as a Tezolizumab, both. A, immune checkpoint inhibitors given intravenously every 3 weeks together with the uh, uh platinum chemotherapy that has been that approach has been shown to improve uh survival so this is um uh, a very a powerful tool that's now added to the uh, to the toolbox and uh and just to uh, uh give you uh an anecdote you know i have i have many patients who are actually living uh, with metastatic small cell lung cancer and recurrent disease that's relapsed in the uh, in multiple parts of the body, but they respond and there's re- and some of them do respond long term. Certainly not everyone, uh, but I do have uh, a sizable a number of patients who are living their life very actively. One patient who had brain metastasis from small cell and responded to chemoimmunotherapy uh, is uh, is now. Uh, actively living his life, working, and also studying for his PhD thesis. Uh, and I'm going to help him uh, complete that thesis. So um, uh, there's definitely hope of extended uh, living. So uh, I, would, I would keep up the fighting spirit. Uh, and other than the immunotherapy option, uh, together with chemo, there's also the uh, additional newer chemotherapies being developed. There's a new drug called Lurbinectedin which is um the uh it is a uh, an an alkaloid analog which binds to the DNA and and basically causes the cell cycle arrest and and that's coming from a marine animal so it's a sea squirt uh, uh from the uh from the ocean and these um uh, so it's a natural product but it's given intravenously every 3 weeks and and that has real uh, uh, anti-cancer properties against uh, uh, small cell lung cancer. So that's now FDA approved. It's an option uh, that we also can use. There are other chemotherapies that, are, uh, uh, that have been shown in clinical trials and data, uh, 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 various data sets to, to have um, activity against small cell lung cancer. That, and those include irinotecan, uh, temozolomide, Uh, and and these can all be used. Of course, there are the older uh, combination chemotherapies, such as CAV, uh, that are also occasionally used. Uh, But what's important is the enrollment in clinical trials. Look for a clinical trial. Talk to your oncologist about it. There are newer agents being developed. The PARP inhibitors uh, have shown activity, uh, olaparib plus uh, temozolomide, uh, for example, and there are newer targeted therapies looking at various protein expressions, such as DLL3 um, expression. And we uh, at the Memorial Sloan Kettering we're looking at a trial of a bispecific T cell engager type of a cell-based immunotherapy to um, uh, uh, to uh, induce um, uh, the response because the, yeah, we're going to engage the immune cell to uh, to fight the small cell. So um, uh, there's certainly uh, a lot of hope uh, a clinical trial is really the the only way to to drive this forward to to uh, uh, uh to give us that window toward the future the opportunity of a of a treatment of the future uh and uh certainly uh this is how progress is made so I would actively encourage a clinical trial of novel therapies. Uh, for small cell lung cancer, and Dr. Rosenzweig is actually going to talk more about it, uh, uh, together with the uh, radiation, which is also a, uh, another effective therapy against small cell lung cancer. Now, finally, uh, uh, just a little bit about side effects and symptoms and and pain. Uh, the the central message is that uh, all of those uh, can be treated. Uh, whether it's treatment side effects or cancer symptoms which is actually more of a problem uh, but they all can be treated with good supportive medicines whether it's for cough whether it's for pain uh, whether it's for um, nausea vomiting or diarrhea uh, all of those uh, can be fixed and don't just put up with it Uh, we actually need you to be pain-free we need the patient to be symptom-free to have uh, an active uh, functional status, we call it performance status, which is you just living an act uh, an active life. These are the patients who do best on cancer treatment. So it's important to to work on the supportive care aspect. Uh, work with your oncologist, work with the supportive care or palliative care physicians, work with your nurses, uh, and and do everything possible to get the uh the symptoms uh taken care of because then uh you have uh you you, you give yourself the best uh fighting chance uh so uh thank you um uh, for listening and i look forward to uh, uh addressing any questions uh, down the track i'm going to hand the floor to uh dr Rose- rosenzweig
1: Thank you so much, Dr. Lee. That was really outstanding. It's a wonderful presentation. And you really set the context for the whole program today, so a lot of wonderful information. And I know there will be questions for you during the Q&A, so thank you. Um, And our next speaker is uh, Dr. Um, uh, Rosenzweig, um, uh, Dr. Kenneth Rosenzweig. And Dr. Rosenzweig is, is professor and chair, Department of Radiation Oncology, ICANN School of Medicine at Mount Sinai, system chair, Mount Sinai Health System. And Dr. Rosenzweig will be addressing the role of radiation, the role of radiation oncologist in treating small cell lung cancer, types of radiation treatments, the role of clinical trials in the context of COVID-19, how research increases your treatment options, talking with your healthcare team about quality of life concerns and follow-up care and your follow-up care plan, and guidelines to prepare for telehealth, telemedicine appointments with your healthcare team, including technology and list of questions. So it's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Rosenzweig.
3: Thank you very much, Dr. Mesner, and thank you for having me on the program. And thank you, Dr. Lee, for that wonderful introduction uh, to small cell lung cancer. So as Dr. Lee described, chemotherapy plays the major role in the treatment of small cell lung cancer. But radiation also has a major role to play in uh, taking care of patients with small cell lung cancer. So uh, for pa- there, we usually divide small cell lung cancer into patients where the disease is only in their chest, and we call that limited stage, and also where the disease has spread outside of the lungs, which we call extensive stage disease. So for limited-stage disease, radiation plays a big role because at the same time you're receiving the chemotherapy, uh, we also give radiation to the tumor in the chest. And that's been found to help people live longer and more people are cured when they get chemotherapy and radiation at the same time uh, when the disease is only in the chest. Um, as you, know, you you might see you know, ads in the newspaper or or on the radio, there are many different types of ways to give radiation therapy, Um, three-dimensional radiation, IMRT, stereotactic radiation, uh, cyberknife. For small cell, just because of where it's located in the lung, uh, the standard forms of radiation, either three-dimensional radiation or intensity modulated radiation, are generally... um, Going to be the best way to treat for, for the vast majority of people who, who need radiation. So the other techniques that you might see or read about are effective for very specific situations, but usually not for someone with small cell lung cancer. Um, so just the the again the usual standard way we give radiation pretty much at any uh, any radiation facility that you, that you might go to. Um, The the big side effect with radiation is uh, irritation of the esophagus. The the esophagus is the tube that runs from the mouth to the stomach, and it can get very sore from the radiation, and and the chemotherapy makes the radiation even uh, uh, more effective but also causes more side effects as well. So that's something uh, we typically are very uh, aggressive in, in making sure people aren't having trouble swallowing, so they can uh, keep up their nutrition and and not lose too much weight uh, during the course of treatment. Uh, There are two ways to deliver the radiation in terms of uh, uh, timing. Uh, Some doctors prefer to give the radiation twice a day, usually spread out by six hours, um, so like a 9 a.m. treatment and a 3 p.m. treatment, uh, Monday through Friday, uh, for about three weeks. And uh, some doctors do just one treatment a day uh, for six to seven weeks of treatment. And actually, um, both uh, both ways of doing it work very well, so it's not as if there's a, a, one way that's the right way. So it's a little bit doctor preference and also a little bit uh, what's the most convenient uh, for the patient. For, for some people coming in twice a day, uh, Uh, works very well with their schedule. For for some people, uh, once a day is better. Um, So that's something to discuss uh, with your physician as well. Um, But both have the same, it's appeared to have the same uh, ability to take care of the cancer. So that was talking about treatment uh, to the lung. Uh, There's also uh, something very interesting with how we treat uh, small cell lung cancer in that we know it has the ability to spread to other parts of the body. So even when the scans don't show any disease in different parts of the body, we know that there's a chance that there are some cancer cells there. So chemotherapy uh, does a a fantastic job of traveling throughout the body, uh, destroying these cancer cells wherever they might be. But chemotherapy doesn't penetrate uh, the brain as well as it does other organs. So there, there's um, uh, these cells surrounding the neurons in the brain called the blood-brain barrier, and that just prevents the chemicals of chemotherapy uh, from penetrating into the brain and, and attacking any cancer cells that might be there. Uh, so sometimes after the completion of treatment, we recommend radiation to the brain, even though uh, the person doesn't have any tumors in the brain. So it's a prophylactic treatment. It's called prophylactic cranial irradiation, um, and it's given over the course of two weeks. Um, So it's something we do consider and something we do discuss with all the patients who come into our clinic. Um, As you might imagine, we're we're always worried about side effects when giving radiation to the brain. Uh, It does make uh, people a little bit uh, more tired. Um, as I always joke, you wouldn't want to be on a game show right after you got uh, radiation uh, to the brain, but it's not going to be um, the cause of anything as severe as dementia. Um, it just makes people uh, feel like they didn't get as much sleep uh, recently. Uh, but something also to discuss uh, with your doctors, whether that might be helpful to you. If um if you don't get radiation to the brain, um, it is. You know, we do need to get uh, scans of the brain to make sure no tumors develop there. So, so typically, we do recommend getting an MRI uh, pretty regularly to make sure that no small tumors are popping up, because if they do, we, we would need to give uh, radiation to them. Um, so clinical trials are um, extremely important for all cancers. But uh, especially for small cell, all the advances that Dr. Lee and myself have talked about have been the result of clinical trials. Um, And the advances that have been made just in the past five to seven years have been extraordinary. Um, You know, there was probably about a 20-year period where there really wasn't that much innovation in small cell lung cancer. Researchers were essentially uh, spinning their wheels, um, trying new types of chemotherapy, but and new types of radiation, without uh, massive success. You know, but with the advent of immunotherapy, as Dr. Lee was describing, it's really been uh, fantastic, and we're really seeing situations where people are uh, doing much better than we ever expected. the disease is under control for a significant uh, period of time, and they're feeling good during that time. Uh, so, clinical trials are extremely important, and it's also uh, crucial to realize that you know when you hear about a clinical trial, you know it is technically an experiment, uh, but it's not as if you're going to get uh, no treatment versus an effective treatment. It's, it's typically the standard treatment versus the standard treatment plus something new. Uh, so, it's not going to be as if you're, you're abandoning your ability to get any type of therapy. We're just trying uh, uh, something new on top of that to see if, if it's helping people uh, live longer or, or do better. And even uh, in the context of COVID 19, clinical trials are continuing. Uh, obviously, they did shut down for a period of time last year just uh, to maintain everyone's safety, but um, here at Mount Sinai, we're back up and running, and, you know, and obviously we're doing all the right things to keep patients and staff safe uh, during that time. But there's no question that all of the advances that Dr. Lee has and, and, and I were talking about would not have been possible uh, without these clinical trials and the, and the courageous patients who, who enrolled on them uh, to uh, help us learn how to take care of them and, and uh, other patients as well. Um, it is very important to discuss with your team uh, any concerns you have about um, your quality of life. Uh, like I mentioned, people can feel tired or have difficulty swallowing uh, from a treatment, especially the radiation. And it's important to discuss that with your team because um, you know, you know, even though uh, you know, losing a few pounds doesn't seem like it's a bad thing. Uh, But, you know, when you're you're receiving active cancer treatment, we want your weight to be stable. It's going to help you uh, recover from the cancer treatments and build your body back. Um, And if you're losing significant amounts of weight, um, it's just going to be tougher to recover from from each treatment, whether it be the radiation or or the chemotherapy. So you do need to discuss uh, with your uh, care team uh, how you're feeling You know, if if things are getting a little difficult, it's best to nip that in the bud rather than to let the side effects uh, get worse and and, uh, where things could potentially get out of control. Um, And, you know, since the coronavirus pandemic, a lot of us have um, switched a significant part of our practice to uh, telemedicine and telehealth. So, and... um, yeah, you know, this was something that was, you know, definitely in the works as the technology got better, uh, and there, and everyone has the ability to to engage in these visits with with, with the new smartphones and with uh, computers with cameras now. But obviously, the coronavirus pandemic uh, accelerated uh, this change, and a telehealth visit's not that much different from a regular visit. Obviously, we can't do a physical exam. Uh, But the discussion is is pretty much the same. So any questions that you would have had with your doctor, write them out beforehand and bring them with you. I think one uh, fantastic thing is just with the technology, we're able to get family members in on the visit uh, without them having to travel. So I can be talking to a patient who, you know, I'm here in Manhattan who's in Long Island. And um, his daughter, who's in California, uh, can be, you know, part of the visit and, and, and is equally involved, whereas that would have been very inconvenient or just not possible uh, previously. Um, so, the, you know, before a telehealth visit, just the general things, make sure the connection's is good, uh, make sure you're in a place where you're comfortable, where you can talk, um, have a little patience because, you know, sometimes the, someone will, will get you on the line and it might be a few minutes until the doctor uh, gets on the call because they might be reviewing the records, or might be finishing up with another patient. Just, just like in a regular clinic visit, uh, you might see the doctor walking around and then pop in a few minutes uh, later, uh, but you're not going to have that type of interaction. So sometimes it gets very, very lonely on the phone when, when no one's uh, answering. So uh, just be aware, uh, uh, you know, we're usually pretty much on top of getting uh, on, onto the calls as soon as possible, but uh, just a little patient while we review the record should be good. If there's a scan uh, that we need to see, uh, obviously getting that sent to us ahead of time is, is going to be um, very important, so we can review it and discuss it with you uh, in real time. And of course, unfortunately, we can't do radiation or chemotherapy, or, or surgery for that matter, uh, over the telephone. So you do still have to come in for that, but a lot of the prep work beforehand and the aftercare could be done uh, via telehealth. So that's something that's that's really just been wonderful for patients um, uh, to help them with the convenience of, of treatment because it's very inconvenient to have a cancer diagnosis aside with all the other realities for it and so anything that can make it easier uh is great, and you know I'm in New York City, and parking's very expensive here and and that's a big factor there as well to to help people out so again, thank you to uh cancer care for, and longevity for this opportunity and I'm looking forward to the questions
1: Oh thank you so much Dr. Rosen that was very comprehensive uh and you really covered a lot of important topics in great detail and I think that I'm um, also um making everyone more comfortable with the telehealth and just um the patients, which is often required um, by many, um, and working with the healthcare team. So thank you. Thank you so much. I know there will be questions for you during the Q&A as well. There already are some for you, actually, uh, about coming in online. So. Um, and our next speaker is Ms. Diana Bearden, and Ms. Bearden is an oncology dietitian, the Michael E. DeBakey VA Medical Center, and she'll be addressing nutrition and hydration concerns and tips. And it's my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Bearden. Thank you so much, Carolyn. I'm excited to be part of today's
4: presentation. Nutrition is so important. We have kind of heard it today already, um, the role of maintaining your weight, um, being able to swallow well so you can maintain your nutrition. Nutrition serves a lot of functions. Um, It is essential in um, providing you the things, um, the energy to do the things that you enjoy. It also is important in nourishing your body, um, not just for baseline function, but for any additional stress and challenges that come with the treatment that you're going through for your cancer treatment. Um, And we know that patients who struggle with lung cancer are at higher risk of weight loss. Um, A lot of it has to do with the increased energy expenditure. Um, And sometimes patients come in with weight loss. And so we want to address that very quickly. Um, Some of the potential side effects from treatment can impact your nutrition. We've heard a little bit today about the swallowing challenges, um, oftentimes the result from the radiation um, side effects. But other things that can come up are dry mouth, um, changes in taste, a decrease in your appetite, and increased fatigue. Um, So we really want to get on – on this issue of weight as soon as possible. So, working with your healthcare team is very important, and a dietitian is part of that healthcare team. Um, you can request to meet with a dietitian. Oftentimes, the doctor will um, send a referral um, for the dietitian to meet with you. Um, but if you have any specific questions or concerns, or if you're having challenges with eating, absolutely bring that up to your healthcare team and request for that time with the dietitian. The role of the dietitian is um, to help you with your specific needs and challenges meet your nutritional goals. Um, A a lot of things that can happen in order to do this is it may be modifying your diet, maybe even modifying the texture of your diet, um, informing you of maybe an increased calorie or protein need that you um, are experiencing based on your specific um, needs. Hydration is another part of that conversation. Dehydration is very present um, throughout cancer treatment for all patients. And a lot of times patients who have lung cancer have other underlying um, respiratory challenges. Sometimes you're on oxygen. Um, patients already kind of um, come in maybe a little more dehydrated um, just because of some of these other healthcare care challenges and medications you might be on. So it's really important that you have the information you need so you know what to do to keep yourself as strong and healthy as possible. Um, oftentimes, fatigue is a big issue. Um, and I bring that up because with weight loss, um, patients often feel like, well, gosh, I have a little bit of weight to lose. I'm carrying weight. I don't need to worry about it. But when you're going through treatment for cancer, um, our body works a little bit differently, and we use energy a little bit differently. And oftentimes, muscle is used as an energy source when you're not eating enough. The challenge with that is it takes a lot of energy to breathe, and we use muscles in our thoracic cavity. Um, we use muscles in our face and in our throat to swallow and to talk and to cough. All that's driven and supported by muscle. And so when you're losing weight and you start losing that muscle, you start feeling more fatigued quickly. And so what we need to do is find ways to support you and help guide you to get more nutrition in um, to help build some of that back and stop the weight loss. So um, some things we can talk about are small frequent meals. Eating little bits throughout the day, but focusing on foods that are really nutrient dense, power packed with calories and protein in a small amount so it's not overly, um, it doesn't feel overwhelming when you go to eat it. It's not a big plate of food, but we can narrow it down to a smaller snack. Also, finding ways to get that fluid in to stay nice and hydrated. But remember, the muscle is so important, it, it impacts so many different things. And a lot of times we think about mobility and you know, walking around and really, um, you know, walking and moving around like we're used to doing and feeling more fatigued around that, but it really does impact more muscle than just that. Um, so it's so important that you talk with your team about any challenges that you have with eating, any weight loss that you're experiencing, um, so that we can help you as quickly as possible. Now, there are medications that you'll be given and prescribed for different side effects, and taking these as they're prescribed is very important. A lot of times, um, You know, people feel overwhelmed by all the medication they have to take, but sometimes these side effects can really interfere with your eating. And um, we want to make sure that you feel um, like you're comfortable with why you're taking the medication and how to take the medication. So um, constipation can be a problem for some patients. That can interfere with your intake Um, if you're feeling nauseous. Or you're um, uncomfortable because you're in pain those all can interfere with your ability to eat and so um, we want to make it work so that you're successful um, with getting everything that you need during this time if you're having trouble during um, day-to-day living activities sometimes the fatigue can even interfere with that preparing your meals getting to the grocery store talk with your healthcare team Um, We need to know these things. There are ways we can talk about prepared meals, maybe delivery services, Meals on Wheels for some patients. There's a lot of resources out there that we can tap into if we know what you're going through to help support you. Um, Dehydration is oftentimes overlooked. Um, You'll hear sometimes, oh, we need to give you some fluid before your next treatment or, you know, we need you to stay today to give you about a liter of fluid. And dehydration is very common, Um, but it can make you feel worse. It can make you feel more fatigued. It can even impact your nausea, make you feel dizzy, give you headaches. So it's so important that hydration is part of your treatment plan as well. And fluids are anything that's liquid at room temperature. This includes water, milk, sports drinks. Um, But a general guideline is most people need between 8 and ten ounce glasses of fluid a day. So it boils down to about... 64 to 80 ounces. Everyone's a little different, and some treatments, such as radiation, can actually increase your fluid needs. So, again, talking with your healthcare team is so important. In closing, there are so, several members of the healthcare team dedicated to you, dedicated to making sure that you feel empowered, secure, and knowledgeable in what we are here to do for you, what you need to do to get the best outcomes that you can get. And so, please remember to reach out to all of us. Um, know your healthcare team and know how to reach them. So in closing, um, I want to thank you for your time today, and thank you, Carolyn, for having me be part of today's workshop, and I'll pass the line back over to you.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Bearden. That was really wonderful and, um, as always, and very informative about the, the importance of nutrition and, and some really helpful tips, so thank you. I know there are always questions for you during the Q&A, so thank you. Thanks a lot. And um, and our next speaker Um, is Ms. Katie Brown, and Ms. Brown is Vice President, Support and Survivorship Program's Longevity Foundation. And Ms. Brown will be addressing Longevity Foundation's free programs and services along with their uh, lung cancer helpline um, at 844-360-5684 and their website, www.longevity.org. So it's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to um, Ms. Katie Brown, who is actually um, a very important m- member of the Longevity Foundation and instrumental in this partnership today with with the Longevity Foundation. Uh, Ms. Brown?
5: Thank you so much. Um, it is uh, such an honor for me to be a part of this program today. Um, I am also a cancer survivor and a former small cell lung cancer caregiver, and I'm currently in a clinical trial myself, and I'm doing pretty well. Um, Longevity is the nation's leading lung cancer nonprofit, and we're changing the outcomes for people with lung cancer through research, education, and support. And support um, people impacted by lung cancer can can get help navigating their cancer from our website, from our uh, lung cancer cancer care helpline, and from survivor and caregiver mentors who've been where they are. Um, Our Peer-to-Peer Lifeline Support Program connects lung cancer patients, survivors, and caregivers to mentors to get advice, give advice, encouragement, and hope. We also have virtual patient Zoom meetups four times a week, multiple private patient and caregiver groups online, and we provide multiple ways for people to get involved in the fight against lung cancer. Now, we do have different groups for different oncogene types, as well as for those diagnosed with small cell lung cancer, and in the 18 years that I've been a lung cancer advocate, I've seen a tremendous amount of progress in lung cancer research. And I know longtime survivors whose lives have been extended by participating in clinical trials. So anyone with lungs can get lung cancer, and I want patients and their families to know that they don't have to go through it alone. So please visit our website at www.Longevity.org to get connected or to ask any questions. And uh, I'll turn it back over to you. Thank you.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Ms Brandon. What a wonderful role model for everybody on the call as well. So thank you um, for that just wonderful presentation and also for the partnership today, both um, on part one and part two as well, and on all the far lung cancer programs. Of course, you'll be a participant on them. So thank you so much. Thanks. And our next speaker. As uh, Mr. Wynn Burkle, and Mr. Burkle is a director, he's an oncology social worker, and he is director of social service, Long Island, lung cancer program coordinator for cancer care. And Mr. Burkle will be addressing cancer care's free programs and services and our HOPE line at 800 813 4673 and website www.cancercare.org. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Mr. Burkle.
6: Thank you, Thank you Carolyn. Founded in 1944, CancerCare is a leading national nonprofit organization providing free professional support services and information to help people manage the emotional, practical, and financial challenges of small cell lung cancer. Our comprehensive services include regional counseling and support groups, professionally facilitated online national support groups, educational workshops, publications, and limited financial assistance. Cancer Care now provides free national case management services to patients, post-treatment survivors and caregivers affected by cancer. We offer a short-term, strengths-based approach to case management, where our oncology social workers work with the client in connecting them to resources, referrals, and Cancer Care's limited financial assistance program and referrals to the Cancer Care co Foundation. Cancer Care has developed a special lung cancer website, www.lungcancer.org, designed as a first stop for people who find themselves in this new and strange world of small cell lung cancer. Using easy to understand language, lungcancer.org helps patients and caregivers know about lung cancer screening, detection, and diagnosis, its types, stages, and treatments and post-treatment follow-up. Cancer Care's user-friendly main website www.cancercare.org in addition to providing a wealth of cancer information and topics serves as a convenient entry point to connect with the many services which Cancer Care makes available free of charge for cancer patients and those who care for them. Cancer Care's free Connect education workshops like this afternoon's event, were pioneered in 1988 and offer a robust array of topics for people to learn about living with cancer from the convenience of their home, office, and commuting travels. Leading experts in oncology provide the most up-to-date information over the phone or via live streaming to patients, survivors, their caregivers, and healthcare professionals. Replays of these work- workshops are available both online at CancerCare's main website, www.cancercare.org, or via your phone. Many folks find it convenient to download these replays to their iPods and MP3 players for listening while traveling. Our educational outreach also provides CancerCare's well known CancerCare Connect booklets and fact sheets which are available free of charge and are packed up to date information on treatments and the latest coping strategies to help cancer patients and those who care for them. To date we have distributed several million of these very popular publications. Cancer Care Support Services are provided by its professionally trained experienced oncology social workers who are always pleased to assist folks like you in dealing with the many issues which arise from the diagnosis of small cell lung cancer. If you're interested in learning even more about the services Cancer Care offers, we encourage you to call Cancer Care's National Hope Line at excuse me, 1-800-813-4673. Thank you, be well, and be safe.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Mr. Burkle. A wonderful presentation and also just wonderful um, uh, services that you've identified from Cancer Care, which are a great resource, um, along with the Longevity Foundation for people. Um, so thank you so much. And now, um, before we move on to the Q&A, we're now going to um, ask you just a few more questions before we move on to the question and answer period. So um, uh, our our first question is, And we thank you for responding to these questions because it helps us to learn more about you at the end of the program, um, and it's very useful to us, again, in planning future programs. So the first question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater, greater knowledge of new treatment options for recurrent small cell lung cancer. And, again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I feel more confident about emerging treatment options for small cell lung cancer. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I am more likely to participate in clinical trials for small cell lung cancer. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, there's just this one and one more. As a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in working with my healthcare team to manage small cell lung cancer treatment side effects, symptoms, and pain in the context of COVID-19. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the last question is: As a result of this workshop, I have greater confidence in the standard of care for small cell lung cancer. Again, one is the highest rating, and five the lowest rating. So I want to thank you all for participating in these questions, and we're now going to move on to the Q and A. And so we're now going to move on to the question and answer period, and I'm going to ask um, Michelle to explain to all of um, you how to queue up for questions. I'm going to try to take as many of your questions as possible. Um, Michelle?
0: Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star, then number one, on your touchstone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. Okay, and um, I have um,
1: some online questions here. So um, for um, Dr. Rosenzweig, um, I declined prophylactic brain radiation as I couldn't tolerate the head restriction required during treatment. What is the current thought on this? And that was for brain metastasis. Well,
3: yeah, so um, in order to make the treatment as precise as possible, uh, we try to have help patients keep completely still during the treatment. So actually, we use a um, a piece of plastic that w- when we put it in water, it becomes soft, and we mold it around uh, someone's um, head. So it can be very constricting. Um, it, it it looks almost like a, a hockey mask molded to your face. Uh, so some some people do have a difficult time with that um but there are some ways to uh try to make it a little bit easier on people and uh, at the expense of maybe a few millimeters of uh of uh, of you know that extra that might need to be in the treatment field so that's that's often a trade-off uh we can make and, and that'd be something to discuss uh with the therapist to make sure you're as comfortable as possible but for some people it's just not possible uh to tolerate it um so in in those situations, you know, I think the uh surveillance with uh frequent MRIs is the most appropriate uh treatment. Um if there is a time in the future where you you do need radiation to the head, um you can discuss with your physicians about, you know, maybe using uh some medications to help you relax during the treatment uh yeah you, know, you wouldn't obviously wouldn't need like full anesthesia or anything like that but sometimes just a little anti anxiety medicine can take a little bit of the edge off uh, but it but it is no fun getting uh radiation and it's no fun keeping still for for 15 to 30 minutes at a time so it is something you know we're very sensitive to and, we, and that's why we try to try to keep the uh the treatments as short and as comfortable as possible
1: excellent thank you and um a question for um Dr. Lee can two different treatments be done at the same time, and what does that what does this depend on?
2: yes this uh is certainly uh, uh possible when it comes to chemo immunotherapy, so the combination of chemotherapy and immunotherapy given at the same time has been shown to improve overall survival for um uh, 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 patients with uh, extensive stage small-cell lung cancer. So that is possible. We can also do combination of chemotherapy and radiation therapy. This has been tried and tested for decades, uh, and it's got a proven track record of uh, of efficacy uh, for small-cell lung cancer. So uh, there are various uh, combinations that, that are still being explored. The combination of radiotherapy and immunotherapy certainly has a lot of potential with synergy, uh, but the science is, is to be worked out, uh, so please do talk to your oncologist about uh, combination therapy.
1: Excellent, thank you. And um, a question from Ms. Bearden, um, does the hydration 64 ounces have to come directly from drinking water or can water-rich foods supplement? No, that's a really good question. I
4: get asked that often. Um, no, hydration comes from um, really anything that's liquid at room temperature. So it can be, um, you know, milk, you know, a sports drink, even juice. Um, you know, many things can constitute um, a source of, of being a source of hydration. Um, and I do get a lot of questions around that because sometimes patients just either don't like the taste of water or they feel like they just are you're drinking water all the time, and that's not their baseline. And so, yes, many different things can um, can hydrate you um, other than just water.
1: Thank you. Um, and a question about how do I get involved in clinical trials. So I'm going to ask um, uh, Ms. Brown if you could address that a bit, just because you're um, – if you could say a little bit about that yourself. I'm sorry. Could you repeat the question again? Oh, yes. Um, how do I get involved in clinical trials? So
5: I would encourage patients who are interested in um, clinical trials to have that conversation with their doctor. Um, Hopefully their oncologist um, has uh, access to uh, clinical trials that they may be able to participate in. Um, As a patient myself uh, of a different type of disease, I had to go look for my own clinical trial. Um, I did not have a doctor that was very forthcoming. Um, so I I went to a credible website um, clinicaltrials.gov. I I got some information from there. I took that information to my healthcare provider, and we had um, a comprehensive conversation about the pros and the cons. And then um, I made my decision, and it's been extending my life for the last three years. So definitely worth looking into.
1: Excellent, thank you. And um uh Doctor Um Lee or Dr. Rosensweig, do you want to add anything to that? About the clinical trial participation.
2: Yeah, well, I completely yeah, agree I, with what yeah. said. It's it's important extremely important for the advances of treatment for small cell lung cancer.
3: And it um yeah, obviously agree with that, and, you know, I think the take-home message is it can help you in in your treatment uh, and also help, you know, future generations of patients, and, you know, we we are where we are today because of many, uh, as I was saying before, courageous patients who participate in trials over the years, Um, so it's really the only way to to advance the field.
1: Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. And um, and that's really important. Uh, so I think that's an important and you'll hear this mentioned in most of the programs that we do. It's just a very, it, it often gives you options that you might not have. Um, and um, so that's really important. Um, and then a question uh, for Dr. Lee, how can I manage the side effects of treatment and protect myself from COVID-19?
2: Thank you. The side effects uh, can be uh, prevented. Uh, generally, if it's chemotherapy, there are a lot of anti-nausea, uh, anti-diarrhea um, uh, pre-medications that would help prevent side effects. And if you do get some minor side effects, uh, the supportive care medicines uh, should help, whether it's for nausea, or for for diarrhea, or for for um, anything else, even fatigue. Um, and uh, so, do talk to your oncologist. There's a myriad of of ways to uh to help manage uh side effects uh and and i can say that by and large they're, they're manageable and um in terms of COVID-19 uh protection uh social distancing we've talked about so avoid really crowded places uh and and stay a distance from from other people uh, six feet apart is still is it a an old saying, but it's, it's still, it still works. Um, so telehealth plays a role in enables uh, social distancing. The um, uh, wearing of uh, protective, personal protective equipment, including masks and face shields, and all that, especially when you come into contact with inevitably more crowded places. I think that's. Uh, still, an important at Memorial Sloan Kettering, we still have a universal mask policy that every staff member and patient who's in the building will wear a mask. So that will, it it's um, it, it doesn't do everything, but it does reduce the risk of transmission. And and with COVID-19, everything counts. Um, and then uh, certainly the uh, the vaccine is going to uh, uh, to be uh, the game changer so if you're uh can get yourself uh, ac- uh, uh onto a covid-19 an approved covid-19 vaccine i would recommend uh getting the vaccine early uh, that that's these are the ones that are clinically shown to be uh, uh protective and it's important for patients with small cell lung cancer
1: thank you and um as we um, are about to conclude the program today, I'm going to ask each of our speakers to provide a sort of a takeaway point for each of you from today's program. So I'm going to start with um, Dr. Lee. Uh,
2: there is hope uh, despite small cell lung cancer, and I think uh, keep that hope alive uh, uh, and uh, be proactive, quit smoking, uh, and talk to your doctors About uh, all the new treatments
3: uh, we've covered.
1: Thank you, and Dr. Rosenzweig.
3: Yes, thank you. Uh, So for years, small cell lung cancer was uh, the forgotten lung cancer, uh, but the treatments for it have vastly improved the outcomes over the past few years, and I think we're going to continue to see advances in what we can do to help uh, people with their uh, live longer be more likely to be cured and feel good during that time. So um, I think the future is going to be uh, much uh, brighter for small cell um, than than it has been in the past.
1: Excellent. Thank you. And Ms. Bearden? Um,
4: I think I'd like just to add um, that all aspects of your care are all equitably important. I think um, the treatment, um, whatever radiation chemotherapy, Um, surgery, um, nutrition, um, psychosocial, all of those components work together to help you be successful. And utilizing your healthcare team um, is, you know, the beginning to to putting all those pieces together. So just being verbal, take notes. It's so important to take notes. Bring them to your doctor's appointment or any other appointment so that you can have those needs addressed and have an opportunity to discuss um, to discuss them and, and the best way to, you know, take, take them on.
1: Excellent. Thank you.
4: And Ms. Brown? Lots of great advice already.
5: I would just say to someone diagnosed with small cell lung cancer that there is hope. Don't let whether or not you had a smoking history deter reaching out for help. You deserve the best care. Clinical trials can be viable treatment options. Palliative care is not end-of-life care. It's quality care, so look into that and um, communicate communicate with all of your healthcare providers communicate with your caregivers and um, survivorship begins at the moment of diagnosis whether it's one day or thousands of days we can make your survivorship uh, a good one so there's hope keep hoping
1: Excellent, thank you. And um, I actually want to thank our speakers. You've been wonderful today, and I also want to thank all of our um, our, our participants on the call today. Um, you've also been wonderful. Um, and uh, um, you know, I want to actually uh, remind all of you that um, that although some of you were able to ask a question, some of you did not get to ask a question. And so um, I'm going to um, suggest that. If you asked a question, or if you didn't get to ask your question because there are more questions in queue than we're able to take, or um, or if you heard something that you didn't know before, you would go back to your treating healthcare team and run it past them, because they are the ones who actually know you the best, and they they would be able to then they know your, everything about you, and then you can take what you learned today and bring it back to your healthcare team for additional information. Um, The other thing I just want to mention is that we've mentioned a lot of services on today's program and resources, and you're going to get a survey monkey evaluation at the end of today's program, and in that survey evaluation, we will provide all the resources that we mentioned in terms of clinical trials, other resources about the organizations that we mentioned, Longevity Foundation, Cancer Cures. You'll have all those at your fingertips and other resources that we think of to provide as well. Most and, most of all, as we're about to conclude the program today, we really don't want any one of you to feel you're alone. It is normal, of course, in today's world of of um, actually masking and social distance and actually physical distance, actually. But social networking is very important. But social networking via Zoom, by telephone, by email. Those are very important. Keeping connected with all of these resources is very important. So, Longevity Foundation, Cancer Care, these are resources for you to contact, to call, to ask for help um, in terms of, and your healthcare team, of course. So that um it, so we realize it is very tempting to feel very much alone, but we want you to know that we' are all of us, all of these resources are simply a mouth click or a telephone call away. We want you to take advantage of them as well as your healthcare team and as a concluding remark, I just want to remind all of you that always check with your healthcare team about their availability. things always seem to crop up um, evenings and weekends, so actually find out from your healthcare team you know when is Um, you know, what is the coverage so you'll know who to call, what numbers to call in the evening and weekends. So, again, I want to thank you all for your participation today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day.
0: Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone, have a great day.